0: Hey, everybody, I'm your host and life coach, Kim Gross, and this is the Masks Off podcast. In this podcast, I'm helping parents and teachers of teenagers and young adults to explore and understand the masks we often wear because of people-pleasing and perfectionistic tendencies so that they can guide their children and students in removing the masks and honoring their true selves each week we dive into how to go from a people-pleasing and perfectionistic prison to freedom empowerment and showing up fully in the world you will hear about my personal experiences and wisdom as well as from my knowledgeable guests if you're ready to remove your masks and to help your children and students to do the same drop into this week's episode Hey everybody. It's Kim Gross. I am the host of Mask Soft podcast. And today my guest is Dr. Eric Recker. And I'm excited to have a conversation with him that I think all of you will really enjoy. But before we start, I'm going to begin with a quote, as I always do. And the quote is one that was provided to me from Eric. And that quote is, If you don't know why you are climbing the mountain, you won't find the answer at the top. Oh, I love that. That is so good. So welcome, welcome, welcome. It's so true. It's like, if you don't know where you're going, you're already there kind of thing at the same thing. So we have to have a goal, a vision, intention setting to know where we're going. Otherwise, spin, spin, spin. So I love that. Thank you so much for being here. And tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what makes you tick, because I know you have several interests, hobbies, activities that you love to do.
1: Yeah. Thanks. First of all, thanks for having me, Kim. I'm excited to, to be here and be able to have this conversation I would say a lot of my life has been born from doing experiments and just trying to figure out how to do life. We could spend a lot of time talking about my backstory, but we'll just go back to the fact that I was bullied when I was in elementary school. And that bullying led to, well, basically in Iowa, in the 80s, the recess kickball field was life. That was a huge thing.
0: Yes, I know. In second
1: and third grade, I was told that I wasn't good enough to play. Not picked last, told that I couldn't play. That's a tough pill to swallow. And so I even remember standing on the sidelines of that recess kickball field saying, I am going to be so darn good at everything that I do that no one will ever not pick me. And I think I was running on that version of software in my mind until probably the last four or five years ago when I realized, man, I am never going to make those bullies happy. Heck, they don't even care about me anymore. They moved on probably that afternoon after, or after that school year was done. But I found that most of my life has been characterized by overstriving, striving uh, by just working too hard just for the sake of working hard. Now, I'm not sad about it, When I look back on it, I've been successful in my dental career. It's allowed my family to do a lot of fun things, but it's been stressful. And it's been really stressful because I've just kept achieving, kept achieving, kept achieving. And I have all these things I've done flying, being a pilot, triathlon, mountain climbing, all of these different things that are fine, but there was no end to it. So now I'm understanding what I was chasing after. And now I'm really starting to get my head wrapped around what fulfillment means instead of just achievement. And so I want to help other people be able to figure that out. So through writing, through coaching, one-on-one coaching and group coaching, and through speaking and working with groups, my goal is to help people figure out. Okay, what am I chasing after? What's the end goal here? What kind of life do I want to craft? And then what are the steps that we can do to step into that life? Because I don't feel like my journey has been for accident. It's only for accident if I keep it to myself. So my goal is to is to share my journey with other people and then hopefully help them on theirs.
0: That's beautiful. I love that. And I think I want to pause right here and dive into something that you said because I think it's an important point to bring up. Let's back up to that achievement. And you explain where it came from. It started from when you were, you said second grade, third grade. So that's around seven, eight years old, nine years old. At the ripe age of seven, eight, or nine, you already developed a sense of I'm not enoughness, not mattering on a freaking Kickball field, nonetheless, during that time in your life is when you put on the mask because you felt and believed underneath that inherently you were not good enough. You were not worthy because you couldn't play kickball. And there may have been other examples to compound that issue in your life. So at that age, you said, okay, in order for me to survive and protect myself, I need to put on this mask and I'm going to make it my life mission to make sure that I don't feel that way anymore. All of this is subconscious, by the way. And so now you're on this path, this trajectory of overachieve, be the best, push, be perfect. Is that all correct?
1: 100%.
0: Okay, so there's two things I want to say. One, I already just shared with you that I'm reading the book and I do recommend for the audience listeners to pick this book up by Jenny Wallace and it's called Never Enough and it's When Achievement Culture Becomes Toxic. And I can so relate to your story because for me, it was the same thing. It was getting the straight A's. It was being picked for captain of the soccer team, being picked captain of the softball team, president of my class, all of those achievements and accolades, all that external validation is where my worthiness came from. It was always external, never internal. And so I was chasing, chasing, chasing as you were, you went to become a pilot and you did a, I mean, doing a triathlon, There are people I'm sure that do those because they just maybe love the challenge and they love to just do that kind of endeavor, but there has to be a certain kind of something else pushing and driving to do a triathlon. And so this achievement, this pushing, and here's where I want to dive in deep and explore this a little bit, because I can still have this. Internal pressure system, this internal something, dialogue, this internal part of me, even though I've done a lot of work, even though I see that it's a mask, even though I healed, there's this part that still pushes, 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 drive, drive, drive. Do you know what I'm talking about? That feeling deep inside?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Looking back on it, you know, at, at one point I started running but running wasn't enough. So I did a 5K and then a 10K and then a half marathon and then a marathon. And you'd think there would be some celebration somewhere in there. There wasn't Mm -hmm. triathlon, sprint distance, Olympic distance, half Ironman, Ironman. And after I did my second Ironman, I actually looked at doing a double Ironman. And fortunately at that point, I just, there was just some pause time where I thought, you know what? Do I even enjoy this? Do I even enjoy the journey? Or am I just, I got to keep doing this because that's what people ask me about. What's your next race? What's your this? So I found identity in that achievement because it was an easy thing for people to talk to me about. When's the next race? Oh, how'd you do? Because I'd place a lot of times. Toxic achievement is a great word for it because there was no end to it. And I think if I hadn't sort of gotten my head wrapped around that, I would still be on that hamster wheel.
0: So was there a defining moment that prompted you to pause? Was there something that happened or was it a gradual like, oh, I'm feeling miserable in my life and none of these achievements are making me feel fulfilled?
1: Yeah. So I did the second Ironman and I was just torched. I didn't want to get on a bike i didn't want to do any of those things i love so i knew i needed to walk away from that for a period of time i ended up doing a couple more half ironman races after that but i never really got back into it and then my brother-in-law challenged me to do the leadville 100 mountain bike race in leadville colorado so it's 100 miles all above 9300 feet we got up we're flatlanders here in iowa got up and hiked Mount Princeton, which is a 14 er that morning. And I basically ran up that mountain. I was in such good shape. And I stood around looking up there while I was waiting for my brother-in-law to get up top. And that is when it hit me like a ton of bricks. If you don't know why you're climbing the mountain, you're not gonna Mm -hmm. find the answer at the top. And the answer was not there. The answer was not going to be at the finish line of Leadville, although it went amazing. I I knew that crossing the finish line was not going to mean hardly anything. The only part for Leadville crossing the finish line was the fact that my son ran across the finish line with me Mm -hmm. after 10 hours of, of bike riding. But I was cured of endurance racing that on the top of that mountain. And from then on, with everything that I sign up for, there has to be a why behind it. If it's just for the sake of achievement and telling people that I did it and proving to people that I'm enough, I can recognize that pretty early now. And we don't choose into those things anymore.
0: Mm. I love that. One of the problems with this toxic achievement culture is that you have teenage boys, correct? And I have a 24-year-old and a 21-year-old and... I became aware and conscious of my masks and my patterns probably around 10 years ago. So they were in their teens, but they already got a taste of what that meant to be in that achievement culture. One, because when they were younger, I was, I will admit pushing and driving. I was the one who said, To my daughter, oh, you want to play tennis? Okay, let me get you private tennis lessons on the side. Oh, let's have a private tennis lesson with a varsity coach because then he can see what you can do and then he might pick you to be on varsity. I mean, I say this shamelessly, but I'm also like, I want to be honest and admit how I contributed to this achievement culture, the toxic one. My son, same thing. He played. Pop Warner football, and I'm getting him private lessons with a trainer to give him the edge just so he would be able to start, you know, I was so intense, so involved in everything they did, their academics, their sports, everything. And then I had my wake up call like, okay, this is insane, so unhealthy for them. But like I said, even for me, because wearing the perfection mask is one of my main masks and so hard to really take off completely and that's why i asked you that question a few moments ago about that feeling that inner push 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 it just like it's much quieter than it used to be but it's, it still can rear its head and it mm-hmm. still is there and so maybe even by osmosis my kids are probably picking up on the perfectionism the achievement and always having to strive for more, more, and more. And so I'm wondering for you, what have you noticed and seen with your parenting and your boys?
1: Yeah. So when my kids were younger, that's when I was really pushing for triathlon. And once you get to the final months of preparation for Ironman, you're 20 to 24 hours uh, a week. And so that's in addition to, in and, and my first season of burnout that that was just vicious, I was building a new dental practice. Mm-hmm. I was in the process of buying the practice from my father. I was on three boards. I was coaching both of my kids in soccer, and I was training for Ironman triathlon. And I look back on it, and I think, my goodness, that's ridiculous even for you. And so My kids saw that and they saw that in me and they saw how hard I was pushing. And I think unintentionally there have been some times earlier in their life where I have subconsciously shoved that off onto them a little bit. My youngest son is 18 and he's a freshman and he is studying aviation. And so he got into aviation partly because of my interest in it and how much we would fly together. So I've had to be really careful with him because I I heard him say, well, I think I'm going to go into school with the most hours of anybody, most flight hours of anybody, which is great. It means you're prepared, but is it because you're prepared or is it because you have the most hours in the class? Mm. What What's behind that? So I have to be really careful with that. And with my older son, he actually got married this summer. This is his senior year of college. And I've tried to be intentional with him about finding something that makes your heart happy. There'll be a lot of things that you can do that are just gonna check off the box, but boy, we get one shot at life. And if we have an opportunity, we gotta make a living. We have to provide for our family. We have to do all those things. But if we're not doing things that make our heart happy and give us joy, then burnout's right around the corner and there is no amount of money, no amount of achievement that can overcome burnout and pushing too hard.
0: So I love that you brought that up because that is something that I also think about too. Do you feel that it is possible to have that balance, to be able to have the career, make the money and do all the things and do the things to make your heart happy? And the reason that I'm asking that question is because As I climb the mountain, I want to have balance. I want to have a healthy mind, body, and spirit. I want to know that when I'm on my deathbed, that I did the best that I could do to not live a half lived life. I don't want to have that regret. And I've had to do a shit ton of healing work over the last 20 years to get to where I am to be able to do that. And I also say this. I'm so grateful to my husband because he does very well and he has provided for our family since my son was born 24 years ago. I haven't had to work outside the home in order to put food on the table or a roof over our head. So I feel like I've been blessed and I have a bit of privilege and a bit of luxury to have had the time and the resources to work on myself to be where I'm at. So then I think about my son who is 24, not married yet, not having a family, but I wonder, can can they have it all? Can he do the inner work? Can he do the stuff that makes his heart happy and still be striving to have a career where he can have the resources and finances? Do you know what I'm asking?
1: I do. Yeah. And I, I think it's absolutely possible. And the reason I think it's absolutely possible is that we still have choices. Hmm. We still have choices. Now we're in a, a time of history where it's super easy to get distracted. It is super easy to be overcommitted. It is possible to find balance, but we have to have boundaries. We really do. We have to take care of ourselves. If we're not gonna take care of ourselves, then it's not possible. If we're just going to jump on the rat race and we're going to go 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 go, and every second that we're not going, we're on screens or devices, then we're going to end up as a big ball of burnout anxiety. That's all we're going to. Yeah,
0: I totally agree with you. If we don't help our kids and we don't help the teens and the young adults to shift the paradigm, that it could be a very scary place for our grandchildren. And the parents, we are the ones who can start to shift that just by doing things differently from the way the parents do things in this book that I referenced by Jenny Wallace, because those parents are putting the pressure, just like I put the pressure on my daughter. Hey, let's get you the private tennis lessons. Let's do this, let's do that. So parents have a big, big, big part in it. And when they see their teen or their young adult over committing, wanting to just strive, strive, strive without the balance, without the self-care, that's when parents can intervene and say, hey, you know, let, let's take a pause. Let's take a step back. Let's do something for fun. Let's, in, let's balance this out. But parents are the ones who are perpetuating that grind culture. So I do agree with you and I do think it is also possible that we can carve out the time to take care of ourselves and that that self-care and that balance is imperative to living and leading a well-intentioned life. Yes. A well-intentioned life when I was a teenager, did not have any clue whatsoever what that meant to have balance between mind, body, and spirit. And that doesn't mean that we're always going to be 100% balanced in all those areas. Sometimes maybe physically we're lacking a little bit and the mind and the spirit are okay. It's, it doesn't mean hundred percent, but we, that's the intention. That's the goal. That's what's at the top of the mountain for me is to be able to be as well balanced as possible. So self-care is so important. And you said something to me before we started recording about the phone, about before you pick it up, you said, what is your saying about that?
1: So I have tried everything to try to not use my phone as much, not be as dependent on it. But I think one thing that's been super valuable for me is when it's in my pocket and I reach for it, because we do, there are digital pacifiers. When I reach for it, I just ask myself this question, why am I picking this up? And yeah, I bypass it a lot. I'm, I'm not perfect with it, but it's an intention that gives me one more boundary before I pick it up. And if I'm just If I'm just zoning out, if I'm just wanting to check social media for the how manyth time of the day, then it's another chance for me to say, okay, maybe this would be a good moment to just let my brain be quiet a little bit. Maybe look out the window. We all face problems that we have to deal with, and it gets really easy to pick up our phone and then just kick those problems down the road as we get a slow drip of dopamine. And then we don't feel quite as uncomfortable anymore. We put it back in our pocket. Everything's pushed down the road. It gets worse. We have to face it at some time. So just that one kind of guardrail, why am I picking this up, seems to be a game changer for a lot of people. It wasn't that long ago that in history that we didn't have our phones. When you were in the line at the grocery store, you were just in the line at the grocery store. When you were at a stoplight waiting for a stoplight, you were just at a stoplight and you could distract yourself with music or whatever, but our brains had a chance to slow down and catch up with our bodies during those times. And, and we're losing that, that quiet space and it's, it's killing us.
0: Absolutely. So what I want to do for a moment is kind of bring everything together from where we started in the beginning to where we are now. So you started by sharing the story of when you were seven or eight years old and you didn't get picked at all to play kickball (laughs) and how at that time you felt not enough. There is a not enoughness that you didn't matter. And so you decided subconsciously at that young age, I'm going to make sure that I don't feel like this anymore. And I'm going to push myself. I'm going to strive. I'm going to overachieve. I'm going to perfect. I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that I don't feel that level of pain. Then we talked about how you went through your life doing all of the things that you did, which is like crazy incredible, the amount that you have achieved. And we talked about how the achievement can be toxic, not only for us, but our kids are watching. They watch everything we do. And so that toxic achievement can be trickled down and passed down to our kids. And then on top of it, to bring in the part about the technology that you were just sharing, is that when we have that level of not enoughness and we're covering it up with a mask, we're covering it up with the perfection mask, the achieve over over mask, the any way, shape or form that we're trying to avoid or move away from not feeling good enough, it doesn't work. We still end up feeling pain because the masks aren't working. We think they're gonna protect us, And maybe for a little bit, it probably does feel a little bit good because people are like, Hey, Eric, how was that last race? How was the triathlon? And there's a little dopamine hit. There's that validation. So it might feel really good for a few moments or in that moment. But then when the people walk away and they're not asking you how great and wonderful you are, then you're left with yourself. So the pain is still there. And then we go to things like picking up our phone or alcohol or drugs, or how can I distract myself more? So those are the consequences of wearing a mask. Now you have done a lot of work. I've done a lot of work and there's another way. There's another way that we can live our life more intentionally, more fully and heal Let me stop for a second. I wanted to just bring that all together, like thread that all together. And then now, if you can share a little bit with us about what you've done and share with us your book and your slogan of win the now and what that means and how you help people.
1: Yeah, during COVID, I hit another round of burnout. That was the second out of three pretty significant rounds of burnout that I've gone through. And I had something I'd never had before, and that was discretionary time. So now I had nine or 10 hours a day that I normally would have been in the office. And it was a tricky time because those days when I was in the office, it was contributing to burnout, but I knew what I was doing those days. My day was scheduled. Then all of a sudden I am in this space where for eight weeks, my office was closed and what do I do with that time? My book is actually called The False Sense of Urgency and How to Win the Now. So what I felt was this false sense of urgency and achievement. I think it's something that's constantly running right in the back of our head is this sense of urgency that I have to do something. I can't sit still. I have to be productive. I have to achieve. I have to, have to, have to, should, 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 should. All of that is just constantly running It's the thing that tells me on a Sunday afternoon when I should be resting or doing something that's refreshing for me. No, I got to get this and this and this and this done for the week. So I committed to 30 minutes of quiet each day. My mentor said, Eric, you got to incorporate quiet into your life. You just got to figure it out. So in typical me achievement, I wasn't going to do five minutes a day. I was going to do 30 minutes a day. First day, I think I looked at my watch 45 seconds into it and said, boy, i got to be getting close. But through that time, I actually got my mind to slow down. It quieted my brain. It slowed things down a little bit. And what it made me realize is that I was being a passive participant in my life a lot of the time. So I was either stuck in the past, thinking about all the stuff in the past, or I was worried about the future. What's it gonna be like when we go back to work? What's it gonna be like for patients or procedures or what's life gonna look like? And what I found is I was never present. I was never fully present in the moment. And so I started thinking, okay, what does that mean? How can I share this with people? How can other people learn from this? I came up with Win the Now. And I encourage people in this to figure out what your now looks like. So for me, when I'm in my dental office, I break my now into fifteen-minute increments. So, what does a win look like in each of those nows? Like for us right now, now is recording this podcast. What does a win look like? It looks like us having a great conversation, providing value for other people, taking our masks off, being vulnerable. In my office, it maybe looks like having a great conversation with a patient, calming some anxieties, other things like that. When I'm co- when I'm coaching someone, it's helping them be heard, helping work towards a plan for them for moving forward. And there are going to be some losses. I might have 40 patient interactions in a day between paid treatment patients, patients I'm checking for my hygienist, and then my team and all of that. Well, if there's a loss, that's okay. You're going to have losses. But what I like to do is, is write those losses down on a piece of paper that I always keep in my pocket. And then at the end of the day, I come back to those losses and think, okay, what did I learn from that? And if I learn something from it, I get to cross it off. It's not a loss anymore. It's a win. And so I love this because we're constantly being drawn back into the now and it keeps us from dwelling on those losses. It keeps us from worrying about the future because the only thing that's guaranteed is what's in front of us right now.
0: I love that. That is really inspiring. And I do agree with you that every loss, if we allow it, and if we choose it, can be turned into an opportunity to learn, and then therefore it can be a win. Yes. So that's important. And I also loved what you shared about And this is what I think I was referencing earlier in the conversation and you really articulated it so well. And I'm so glad you brought it back up, which was, you said, even on a Sunday afternoon, when I know I'm supposed to be resting, I still have that voice of what I'm supposed to be doing and how I need to be productive. And I often will phrase it as being a human doing rather than a human being not my term it's been coined but i use it a lot because it feels so apropos to how i can if i'm not careful live out my day to day i can so easily get caught in the human doing and not human being because just being doesn't feel worthy enough productive enough and For me, my story started when I was 10 and that's when I started wearing the perfection mask because prior to being 10, I was in that being state all the time. I was playing in the snow. I played in the leaves. I would walk through the mud and just be so freaking present with what was in front of me and like felt the snow or the water. Like if I grew up spending my summers on a lake, and I was so connected and so present, or if I was playing football with the boys or riding my bike, I was so present to the wind in my face. And in fifth grade, when I turned 10, my teacher told my mom at a conference that I wasn't working to my potential and that being an average student wasn't enough. And being a pleasure in class was not enough that I could do more and be more. And I started to apply myself and I started getting A's on my test or a hundred on my test. And it was his comments too. Like, oh, I'm so proud of you. Great job. This is excellent. Excellent. And then I started craving that external validation. And that's when I started perfecting and performing and pleasing And those were my masks from the age of 10 on. Hey friends, I didn't mean to leave you hanging. We'll get back to the show in a moment. Are you wondering whether you're a people pleaser or a perfectionist? Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, Kim, of course I know I am one, but I'm not sure all the ways that these patterns show up. Well, you can take my People Pleaser Perfectionist Quiz on my website at kimgrosscoaching.com and find out the answers. And if nothing else, the quiz is really fun to do. Now, let's get back to business. So that is so ingrained in me. Those patterns are so ingrained from that moment that it still is hard for me. i have to be very intentional to just be, just like you said, carving out 30 minutes of being just in quiet and it's still, I'm not going to lie. It still is a challenge for me, but I'm so aware of my pattern that I pause and I catch it. And then I do something different. So I love that you backtracked and shared that because I do feel that it's important for the listeners to really be able to palpably feel what that feels like. When you described it, I felt that. And so I think many can relate when they would hear that.
1: Sure. I don't want people to think that I stick the landing every time on this. I know how much I need quiet. I don't even get it every day. I absolutely don't. And 30 minutes is not common. I love it when I can get it. But a lot of times, as you know, this never ends. The umbrella of content never ends. It can bleed into Saturday and Sunday And I like to write. I'm working on another book. There's all these things that I can do, but there isn't anything better than giving our brains a little time to just slow down. It makes us more productive in everything else that we do. And it's missing so much in the next generation. I think if we had to say one of the biggest keys to how things are gonna go for the next generation and for our generation as well, is what are our relationships like And how are we doing with quiet? And I think if we're struggling with both of those, we're gonna struggle.
0: I 100% agree. So what are our relationships like? And, okay, yes. And from my work and my perspective, I have learned that when we wear masks of any sort and we're not showing up as our true authentic selves, our relationships are going to suffer if you are not showing up as your whole self and feel safe to show up as your whole self, that's the key. Because if you are with people that are judging and criticizing and putting you down, it's very difficult to show up and to show up as your true self and feel safe. So that's where all the inner work comes into play. And that's the stuff that I do. So I agree. And then the second part is being able to be in the present moment. So I love that. This was a phenomenal conversation. So much value. I so appreciate everything that you shared, your honesty, your wisdom, your story of where you were to where you are now. And I would love for you to share with the audience where people can find you. You mentioned that you're working on a book. You have a book that's out. Tell us what you have on the burner
1: yeah so home base for me is my website ericrecker.com, and in there's links to social media coaching speaking i have a blog that i do each week and then links to the book as well all of that kind of stuff as far as the book that i'm working on it's about self-care and so it's it has a lot to do with how we are constantly being drained no matter what we do, there's a constant outflow out of our body. So how can we balance that? How can we not just get burnout? And what are some of the steps that we can do? How can we know when we're getting there? And how can we, how can we write the ship? So mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited about it. Probably going to be early next year before that's out. This one is going to be significant. So I want to make sure that we get it right.
0: Awesome. And I do want to just add one more thing based on what you were just saying about the content of the book is we talked before we press record that we mentioned, it's so important to be selfish, to be selfless. And I thought about that when you talked about the self-care and how important it is to be selfish and take care of ourselves so that we have more to give.
1: Yeah. We wonder why we're so empty. We wonder why we're so burned out. We wonder why we don't feel like we have anything in the tank. Well, we're not unlike a battery. If our cell phone battery isn't recharged, it's going to run out. It just is. If we're not recharged, we're going to run out. So what does that look like? I mean, eventually your health is going to fail. You're going to start having panic attacks like I used to have. You're gonna have those things. There are different symptoms, different guardrails along the way that we can learn that, oh man, I'm struggling a little bit here. I need to take a little time to myself, but it's just not right to think that we can just go, go, go. And there's always gonna be more in the tank because there isn't.
0: Such an important topic for sure. It's so needed. So I'm so grateful that we were able to connect and I really enjoyed having you as a guest.
1: Thanks so much for having me. You know, when the other book comes out, we'll have to have another conversation. Yes,
0: yes, let's definitely do that for sure. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Masks Off. I'm Kim Gross, your host, and this was Dr. Eric Recker. And if you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, and I think you did
1: as well, right, Eric?
0: You enjoyed it?
1: Absolutely. It's great.
0: Yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to comment or even to like and subscribe. And until next week, take care, everybody. If you enjoyed this episode of Mask Soft, and you're ready to take the next step to overcoming people-pleasing and perfectionistic tendencies, you can reach out to me at KimGrossCoaching.com and book a call. You can also join my free Facebook group for more inspiration and tips. The link is in the show notes. I would love it if you would subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget to share it with others. See you next Thursday on Masks Off with Kim Gross.